Ooh. All right. Back like Jordan the four or five. <laughs> <laughs> Technical difficulties. Fantastic. All right. I'll get right into it. Welcome, audience. Another rendition of VJL Podcast. We're bringing back one of our guests from a previous episode. Mike, Mike, welcome back to the show. Glad to be back. I appreciate it. This is going to be a, a, a lot more impromptu. It's not going to be as formal or or sort of orchestrated like other episodes have been. There's just been a couple of pressing topics that I've come across over the course of the past couple of weeks that have been alarming, eye-opening, whatever the word is you want to plug in, because uh, there's been such intensity and focus around so much tomfoolery and nonsense lately that I feel compelled to talk about it. So I want to get get right into this. I want to start with, uh, for those who may not necessarily have been keeping track or are plugged into some of these uh, political situations that are taking place, there are a lot of states, particularly those states down south, Midwest, that are instituting voter restrictions and passing laws in their House and Senate and then their governors are in turn signing off that are limiting people's access to voting, whether it be restricting timelines on access to absentee voting or mail-in voting. Something as simple as in Georgia, you, you know, you can't give people standing in line water or food while they wait. Just absolutely ludicrous and ridiculous action items that are to be very candid, put in place to make sure that those who are more marginalized just can't vote because a lot of these Republican institutions know that the only way they're going to be able to compete and maintain their positions in the political realm is to restrict access. I believe only one Republican president, for example, in the last, what, 30 plus years has actually won the popular vote. And so despite only winning the popular vote in the United States once, uh, they've been able to hold office, what, 11, 12 times? Mm-hmm. So, Mike, I want you to, to you know, kind of comment on, on this stuff and we can talk through it because it's absolutely insane. <laughs> what got me was when, uh, I think it's Georgia, they first, they started this or they're trying to push this through where you can't offer water within, yep. like, a quarter mile of the voting. Like, the um, nobody wearing, okay, I get it. Nobody wearing any of the candidate uh, swag or paraphernalia can offer you anything because that might influence your vote. But has anybody been to Georgia? It's 98 degrees in the shade. <laughs> and you got people waiting in line for hours outside. Right. I, and, and a lot of them, you know, are elderly or at the very least older, right? They need more nutrients. They can't just be sitting outside in the 98 sauna <laughs> for, for four hours, yeah. you know what I mean? We're just waiting to do something as easy as voting. Um, it, it's it's infuriating. And, and obviously, as, as we look at the entire institution of voting, it just shouldn't be that hard to be able to vote, particularly for a national election. I mean, you really, if we can do so many things from our phone now, I don't see why we shouldn't be able to do them do something like voting, for example, and and not necessarily say that that is the cure or the fix for being able to vote. Necessarily be able to do it from your phone, although that certainly should be an option. 
it it it's already challenging enough and it was before more of these voter restriction laws were in place to vote for a multitude of reasons but making it even harder is just going to limit and make it's it's honestly going to discourage a lot of people from wanting to return to the the voting polls and that's the plan because i think the georgia primary scared the shit out of them they're like the negroes are voting in record numbers <laughs> <laughs> you mean you mean if we don't or if we don't stifle them from voting, they 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 actually will participate in their civic duty and vote for elected officials? We can't have this. Right. <laughs> right. Example, they're in DeKalb County in Georgia, so where all the black folks live, it's only one voting center to serve over six hundred thousand people. Right. I, and and so with all the obstacles that are in place when it comes to just trying to vote on voting day, right? If, you, if you're, you, you have a job, um, you have kids, or just whatever challenges you have on a typical Tuesday, Wednesday, whatever the case is, it's already a challenge to, to be able to take some time away to vote. Why voting for, for the presidency, for example? And obviously, we, we can talk about state and local level, but let's just, you know, for the presidency, is it's a it, it why it's not a national holiday doesn't make any sense to right. me. And then it's 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 obvious, but what you know why can't it be like the Fourth of July or uh, you know Memorial Day or Veterans Day or any of these national federal holidays where you know, all these offices are closed and 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 even private institutions should be closed so that everybody at the very least has has ample opportunity to be able to go vote or shit. Turn, let's let's re- replace one of these holidays to celebrate. Uh, let's see, slave owners, pedophiles, and uh, and um, and rapists, and make that a national holiday. Maybe right. replace it with voting day. Oh, I'm sorry, we wouldn't have holidays if we did that. <laughs> yeah, I don't. Christopher Columbus, they can go kick rocks. There's, there's no Andrew Jackson, no uh, Thomas Jefferson, George Washington. You know, just name a few. Yeah, I, you know for sure. And it's, it's. I'm not sure to be honest. I've tried to think through. I mean, there's a, there's a couple. There are a couple potential solutions to remedy or alleviate this. Right, the Congress has. I believe the House still has the HR one um, bill that. Con- I, I don't think right now Congress would pass. Um, I just don't think that... Refresh me on the HR1. So the HR1, from what I understand, is it's a national voting access bill, right? It's mm-hmm. the For the People Act, right? It's a, it's a bill to expand voting rights, um, change campaign finance laws, to, you know, reduce the influence of money, um, limits limit partisan gerrymandering. Mm. Uh, create new ethics rules for federal office holders. It it expands America uh, Americans. It expands people's access and opportunity to be able to vote. Right without all of these restrictions that are being put in place. That's the that's a, a brief summary of it. Obviously, these bills are pages and pages long with all kinds of. You know, fluffing them, but that's the the general sentiment of the bill. And so, if that were to pass, then, from what I understand, no state will be able to to keep somebody from being able to vote in a national election, right? Oh, okay. Now, I do. Could it still limit them from 
voting in, say, a state and local election? Possibly, potentially. I'm not sure. But I know that that is out there and that is something that is being pushed heavily by progressives because of all these other restrictions that are being put in place, you know. Um, and so, we'll, you know, we'll see. I, other than being able to rally and vote a lot of these governors and, you know, Republican legislatures at the state and local level out and getting people who are philosophically more amenable to access to voting, it, it, it certainly is very troubling when we look on the outlook of what voting is going to look like in 2022 when more Senate seats are up for, you know, re-election and 2024 when we have another presidential election, which, you know. Oh, they're going to pull out uh, Jim Crow voting laws. You're going to have poll taxes. Black folks are going to try to vote. They're going to ask you how many jelly beans in the jar. Um, (laughs) 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 Fitting arrest you for loitering in the voting line. Yeah, it's 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 just very troubling stuff, for lack of a better word. And you know, I understand that we all live our lives and we all have things that we are concerned about, and, and immediate things in our lives that take precedent over potentially some of these, you know, national issues and crises. But this is very important when we look at the way that Georgia was able to flip to blue in a national election. And right, the the Herculean effort or efforts of people like Stacey Abrams to be able to get so many people registered to vote to help assist in that change or really be the the, the reason why that change took place. It's gonna be exponentially harder now to continue that momentum moving forward. It's just sad. Yeah, it is. <laughs> and not to <laughs> Not, not, not that I don't want to continue to, to press the issue, but I also want to get into something else that caught my eye that is, I, I, I was confused. I mean, I, I literally stopped. I didn't have, there's, there's some times in life when you hear certain things or you see something and you're just at a loss for words, right? Like a lot of times you hear something and it's like you can think of immediate response and you can, even if you either don't believe it or aren't sure about what you're thinking, you can kind of plow through it and, and just give some sort of opinion on it, right? This is one of those things where it's not the case. So Tim Scott, who, is, who has become the face of the Republican Party for all things Negro, mm. came out after Biden's first presidential address and said that America is not a racist country. Now, News to me. <laughs> Now, you you hear that statement in a vacuum and you say, okay, that's ludicrous, that's ridiculous. Fine. There's there's always going to be a percentage of Negroes who buy into the tomfoolery, right? But then when our our lovely vice president, Kamala Harris, hmm, was pressed by the media on the subject about what his remarks were, she while she articulated it in a, I don't want to say a better fashion, but in a different fashion, she essentially doubled down and also said that America is not a racist country. She didn't say that on the breakfast club. <laughs> right. We, we, how quickly we forget that interview she had on the breakfast club 
where she was speaking a very different tune. My, again, I was at a loss for words when I heard it from her, right? Because I just, that was something that I did not expect. Did, is this the first time you're hearing about this? Or if not, when was the first time and, and what were your thoughts on it immediately? <laughs> Let me preface this by, this is probably not this man's real name, but when Timothy Lindell Scott <laughs> got on national television as a black man who resembles most black men of the 1800s and said, America is not a racist country. I chuckled. I thought it was a parody. Right. I, I thought this was a Bill Maher skit. <laughs> and <laughs> I was waiting for them to cut and the studio audience to applaud. <laughs> but then a commercial for life insurance came on and, it, and I learned that it was real. <laughs> well, how do you follow up this bullshit with a Liberty Mutual who <laughs> was not funding this podcast, but they can. <laughs> um, commercial <laughs> and spew this bullshit. Yeah. I, I, it's just not, well, let's start here. It, America is a racist country. Um, it is not just because I said it is, it's just because when you have to make amendments in your constitution to declare that a certain part of certain section of your population can now be considered fully human. Right. And if you actually read the literature, that can be up for debate. For interpret left up to interpretation. Left up into interpretation. And this isn't a racist country. Right. The fact that um, a white man with a felony has a better chance of employment than a educated, a college educated black man. Is, I'll stop there. You know, it's a, <laughs> it's a long list. Well, you know, I, I, uh, I listened to a podcast by a man named Bakari Sellers, and he had a monologue where he and he said, listen, I know Timothy Scott. He's the uh, U.S. Senate representative from South Carolina. He knows Kamala Harris personally, and he said that if you ask them this question privately, he feels confident that they would say absolutely America is a racist country, but they are playing what's called the political game. And the frustrating piece with that is this, it, and it's a couple things. Number one, um, placating to folks, particularly white folks, who want to feel comfortable in this old manner and, and system and way of life is very troublesome, right? For Tim Scott, for example, he knows that deep down a portion of his voting base is extremely racist and does not want any sort of progressive reform when it comes to unity, equality, etc. Right. But as a black man, he has to placate to them because he needs their vote. He has to tap dance. Right. He has to tap dance. Politics. And then when you take a step back... Like, like we, we talked about before we even jumped on this pod, um, in terms of the popular vote, the Republican Party has not won the popular vote with the exception of one time 
in a presidential election in the last 30 plus years, right? One of the many things that I personally believe the Republican Party does very well is their marketing and their targeted messaging, right? Simple, simple slogans like Sleepy Joe, mm. right? Or, or, you know, liberal Joe, liberal woke uh, left Joe Biden and Kamala Harris want to take away your guns, et cetera, right? They have very specific, completely inaccurate messaging that plays to their base and garners support for all the things that they want to do. When you have the Democratic Party always playing reactive, uh, always being reactive and, and not taking the initiative to actually more address things in a very succinct and factual manner consistently, yeah, you, you're going to lose a lot of your base, right? Because all these Black folks that voted for Joe to get him in office in 2020 are now going to take a step back and be like, wait, we voted for who? And she said, what? After she spent all this time on the campaign trail telling us what she was, how, how important this was to her, you know, to be able to, to, to be a representative for us. And, and Joe was, you know, talking all this stuff about how he appreciated the black vote. And, and you ain't black, black if you don't vote for me. He told us that. Right. Exactly. So, you hear all that, and then you hear what what Senator Scott and Kamala Harris said. How can you expect to continue to garner that support moving forward is the question. Well, when Timothy Francis Scott <laughs> and Kamala Francine Harris echo in private that America is a racist country, I agree with them. The problem is that both of these people hold public office and they need to bring their private sentiments to their public office and share them with their public coworkers. Right. Um, understand the game of politics and you, you can't upset your base, but when are we just going to have the honest conversation uh, of the obvious? It's not even it's not even as covert as maybe it once was. It's out in the open. It's just blatant, blatant racism. Um, you know, you have a Black Lives Matter protest and you have 50 caliber snipers lined up on the Capitol building to shoot peaceful protesters, but you have um, the Tiki Torch Whites storm the Capitol, <laughs> and um, they're greeted with, with lunch trays uh, Mount, and Mountain Dew. Right. And allowed in the building, and they just wreak havoc, and and everybody's seen the, the guy that with the shirtless bullwinkle dude standing on, <laughs> you know, stealing stuff from Nancy Pelosi's office. Then one of the degenerates you know, wiped human excrement on the walls, like, you know, we don't, it, it, nobody sees these things. Right. It, the, the question is, if, if as, as the elected official, right, as the vice president, and this is not, I am not sitting here, this, the, the point of this podcast is not to 
condemn Kamala and, and you know say that we don't support her or, or believe in her and all that other QC stuff, right? This is the the focus of this is around, like you said, the the, the need for there to be very honest statements and conversation made because playing it safe and in order to make other folks, particularly white folks, feel comfortable, those days are gone. Or they need to be gone, right? I'm tired of, I'm tired of, I'm tired of living in a world where we have to make uh, white people comfortable. I believe D.L. Hughley said, said this, but the most dangerous place for a black man to live or black person now, because they're killing our women and children too, the most dangerous place for us to exist is in a white person's thoughts. Right. How many times has one of their thoughts or their imagination led to a black death? Right. Right. It's like so <laughs> space bar, space bar, inner tab, Flint water. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, for sure. It, it, you know, it's no different than, and I can't remember this woman's name, but the woman who called the cops on the bird watcher in New York. Right. Right. She had a thought and her thought was this man isn't allowing me to do it. This man is not allowing me to break the rules in the fashion that I should be able to. And my privilege should allow me to be able to do what I want to do when I want. This Negro is not going to sit here and tell me that I can't. So I'm going to call the cops and placate to a stereotype that he is intimidating or a threat to me so that he will be taken care of. Or, or potentially shot and killed, I'm going to placate into that because I'm not comfortable with this situation. And because I'm not comfortable, he has to suffer and potentially lose his life. Or uh, a police officer with um, perfect precision who shot a 16-year-old black girl in the chest four times. Uh, she did have a knife, but there are ways to de-escalate. Because we've seen them do that, um, we see we see this officer shoot this this child in the chest, but somehow you guys were able to de-escalate and apprehend Dylan Roof, with the who's armed with assault weapons, and even had the grace to stop at Burger King and get him a number three with extra pickles. Right, <laughs> extra pickles. I it, I'm, I'm laughing, but Dylan Roof is is. My favorite reference to this ridiculous notion that somehow any of these black deaths should be justified because this man, this man, when there's levels to evil, right? <laughs> For you to be able to sit in a black church with, with black folks through Bible study that prayed for you, that prayed for you to then go get your gun and proceed to kill all of them is a, is a special level of, of evil and, and it makes me uncomfortable even thinking about it but yet yet and still this man who is is of the utmost of a threat is not only apprehended by police he's seen he is deemed so little of a threat he gets a meal before he goes to jail I, like what is that interaction? even look like, hey, I know I just killed these, what was it, nine people? Yes. Like, these nine people, but I'm a little famished. You, you mind if we, we, you know, 
make a little pit stop real quick. This might be my last meal. Sure, and buddy. Then, Do you have any dietary restrictions? <laughs> like, right. You know, is is dairy an issue? You know, uh, what what about meat? Are you are you a vegan? Are you a vegetarian? Like, do you, what, do you like, want a Beyond Whopper? Right. Like, what are we doing here? You know, it it and so to 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 bring it back to uh, the the statements of some of our black political officials, we have to get to a place where we can say things and and not be so honed in on the political game, right? I've I've had this conversation with people that I've come across where they say something to me like I'm I it's just so exhausting having to hear about race all the time all the time. Right? I'm sure that's something that you've heard too. And there's a billion different rebuttals to it. I've gotten in heated arguments with um our um white brothers and sisters. Um it's like, why does everything have to be about race? It's like, I don't know, Paul. You tell me. Right. If if race isn't important while I'm filling out this job application, why do you need to know? Right. Um it's like I, I'm as sick of you are as hearing about race. <laughs> I'm two times sicker <laughs> experiencing racism. Do you want to switch, switch places? Right. Um, oh man, now that you bring it up, I forget the, the 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 woman. I think her name is Jane. Um, Jane Elliott. Yes, where she does the uh, she's in class. The brown eyed, uh, blue eye uh, experiment. Yeah, is, is that it? I, maybe I, I, that sounds like it's it, but I don't know what it. I don't know exactly what it is, so I don't want to say yes, that's it, and then I'm wrong. She separate. She basically separated the class. Okay, if you have blue eyes, uh, you get treated a certain way, but if you have brown eyes, you get treated horribly, or whatever. And she randomized it, and you know. People folded like lawn chairs, getting <laughs> getting treated and, and berated just because they were sitting there. And then she jumped down to one girl's throat because, you know, she was like, I'm I'm done with this experiment. I'm leaving. And she she snapped. She was like, Oh, this is the perfect example of privilege. Because your black classmates can't just get up and leave life. Right. <laughs> this is this this is what they experience every day. Right. Right. Yep. And there's another example of a class where she says, if any white person in here would want to trade places with a, or want to get treated the same way that their black counterparts get treated, stand up. Right. Right. Crickets. Right. Nothing. And these are the same people that would, that would deny critical race theory and say that there's really no problems. But if there's no problems, why wouldn't you switch places with me if everything's equal? Right. But as far as politics go, I'll go out on this. Uh, I'll die on this hill. It's our fault, John. It's my fault. It's your, it's your fault, John. Everybody that keeps, every African-American that keeps voting for the Democrats in any capacity, it's our fault. We should hold our vote. Because we literally have nothing to lose. We came out in record numbers and voted uh, uh, Joseph Theodore Biden in 
And is, that his, is that his middle name? Or you just is that no, no. That's why I preference like these. <laughs> just, these are fictional names. <laughs> I'm like that don't even sound right. I think it's like I, anyway. Go ahead. And Chameleon Harris into office, and you know he got on stage right. Thanks all, all you nigger babies. I mean black folks for getting us in <laughs> into the office. And that's the last time he ever mentioned anything about black folks. Do yeah. black, did black folks get federal protection against hate crimes? No. One Asian man trips in Walmart, and now they have federal protection against against hate crimes. Yeah, that, the 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 what do they call him? The controversial uh, King Kong consciousness, <laughs> Doctor <laughs> Umar. <laughs> he 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 brought up a very valid point. Um, the the anti the the Asian hate bill, right? Yeah. And it, only two senators, I think, didn't vote for it to pass, and it 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 passed like that, like that, yeah. But we haven't. I, there has no every. There's been, and he's. I I can't. Don't quote me on this. How many anti uh, lynching bills or anti um yeah anti lynching bills there are? I think it's over two hundred anti lynching bills have been created, and none of them have passed. Right, because they don't have a problem with black death. For the same reason there isn't a all stop all hate or you know stop all hate it's like uh, them as them as the dominant society really have a problem with bl- black people thriving right they feel like we've overstayed our welcome we've created their heaven and they don't have a use for us anymore so they want us to expire they want us to go away and we're not dying fast enough yeah, it's, it, you know, I, I spent a lot of time, not a lot of time, but a considerable amount of time in the last like four to five years having dialogue back and forth with people about withholding the vote. Should we vote? What does that look like? Right. Um, and not that I try to play both sides or be, be uh, you know, go between the two. I, I've always had the belief because it was instilled in me the power of voting for black people. Mm-hmm. The the sentiment I've always gotten is if our vote wasn't important, why would they be working so hard to restrict it? But to, the flip side of that, to your point, is if we are going to go through such great lengths to exercise that vote, then we should see substantial and mon- monumental returns for black people, right? Right. All black people. And that's not, not, not the... Not the general song and dance over um, that they've had over, over the last 60 years of benign neglect where anything that has to do with black people, it's like, yeah, it's for black folks. You read the literature and it's for people of color. Right. Or underrepresented communities, right. which liter- which basically means um, white women and gay white dudes. Right. Exactly. And so it's perfectly okay for us to get on top of the tables and shout. We want things exclusively designed for black people, just for black people. Specific tangibles, because when big daddy government comes for black people, it's not a foot for everybody. It's a specific foot in the asses of black people. Exactly. And you know, I've been somebody who has supported Biden. I voted for him. Um, There are, I there, did that dumb shit too. <laughs> there's very specific things that he that he has done so far that I've been like, okay, that's promising. However, 
under his watch, he is a president now, how many senseless uh, killings have there been at the hands of police on black people since he's been in office? And not once has he come out and completely denounced and and used his used his presidency to come up with some sort of executive action or measure or something to say this this can this can't continue. Yeah, right? only only thing he said can't continue. You know, black uh, black blood is running in the streets, and he said under no circumstances are y'all to go loot things. Right. Looting is unacceptable. It's like, yeah. yes, but what are, what are we going to say about the death? We're going to handle that. Let the state handle that. But I'm telling you from from the executive level, no looting. Right. And, and to be candid, that that's just, that's just not acceptable. And and you know, folks will say, well, what do you? A, a big part of this is right. What do you expect out of your politicians? And in, in in how how much can you expect? And that I understand. However. If I didn't see so so much swift and quick action taken for other right other other marginalized groups, then I would be more inclined to say, okay, you know what, you may have a point. However, it seems to me all these other marginalized groups get expedited attention and and movement and allyship on things that Black folks do not get. Because why does it? Why does why does an inmate at Guantanamo Bay have better access to health care than the average American? Right. Why are we? Why, why are we? Um, why are we giving um, removing gallbladders and performing dental work on ISIS cells that we have incarcerated? But if me, if you and I don't have insurance, <laughs> we get a bill. Right. A, a large bill, a substantial bill. It doesn't make any sense. And so I, 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 I give folks a lot of room to criticize specific things that are going on. And, and you know, politics, the, the, the harsh reality of it is there needs to be overhaul in a lot of different aspects when it comes to our system, right? That's not news. That's not groundbreaking, you know, that's not a groundbreaking statement, none of that. I'm going to say something taboo. Okay. John, I hope we can be friends after this. <laughs> okay. Oh, no. oh, but no. can Candace Owens. Can't but, for those, for those, so I'm looking at Mike right now. He said Candace Owens. And he started shaking his head because he's about to say something wild. I can already tell. Candace Owens had a a, a good point <laughs> when she said <laughs> when she said that starting today we should be more organized in our vote as black people, and to start out, we should be one issue voters. Similar. <laughs> to the uh, black clergy, like priests and everything, they're one issue voters, meaning a lot of our pastors and stuff vote Republican just because of uh, reproductive rights. Or they're, they're against abortion. Right. But that's that's a little known secret. 
So we should funnel our vote and be like, okay, in this election, this is our issue. Get rid of qualified immunity. Right. And then, you know, another thing, black folks, we need to get our brown paper bag uh, Nilla envelope game up because even with Obama, you saw a lot of the, he didn't do anything specifically or provide any specific tangibles for black folks, but the LGBT community and everybody else got the brown paper bags and envelopes and started throwing money at him. He started singing. So um, we can't change the game, but we can control our spot on the board. We need to start getting these super PACs together and start sliding money under the table towards single issues until we can get a better footing to get multiple issues done in one, one cycle. And, and look, I, I've always been the, the, uh, of the mindset that <clears throat> a, a great message can come from a suspect messenger, right? Right. Um, and that, that's just something that historically, there's been plenty of people who have been flawed in, in alarming ways that have given great messages before, right? Just because you may be somebody that I, I would never want to sit down and have a, a meal with doesn't mean that you can't say something that makes a lot of sense, right? Like, I've, I've tried to, you know, listen to Candace Owen a bunch of times. Can't stand it. Give it about five minutes. And I'm out. <laughs> but what she said right there makes a lot of sense, you know? And not that we need to be singularly focused, but if we if we collectively said herd immunity has to go, period. Any elected official who wants our vote, that they have to run on that platform, then guess yeah. what? That we we will see substantial movement on that. The, the the first challenge with that is one, the education piece, right? How who how many people actually know what herd immunity is? The system has been put in place so that we don't know. Or don't understand what herd immunity is. Listen, I've learned more in the last, I would say, two to three years on the elements of policing that I ever learned in my entire life before. I mean, it certainly wasn't something that was yeah. studied in any form of school, right? It's not studied in school. It's not unless you you actively pursue it in, in undergrad or graduate school. Afterwards, right. you're not going to learn about it. So th- we make so many assumptions about everyday life and and just things that take place. We never bother to actually dig into it and be like, why is this the way it is? We just assume that it's either okay or that it's what it is or that there's no way for us to be able to enact change on it. It's because our Nazi education system, the only thing our education system is uh, set up to do is by the time we're 18, teach us how to be cash flowing assets for the United States government of America. Right. (laughs) You know, you're 18. If you want reasonable employment, go to college. We'll loan you any amount of money. Hey, I want to start a business. Well, we're not giving you money for that. Go to college. I'll loan you $300,000 and you'll pay um, you'll pay 75 cents on the dollar for the rest of your life getting us our money back and we'll make triple on you. Yep. Yep. Just like that. Like, the, fa- like that. the fact that by the time you're 18 you can get a loan for that much money to go to school or join an army and murder people under contract, but you've never been educated how to do your taxes. Uh, you don't really know how the monetary system works. You don't really know how, how 
a lot of laws or enforcement services or any of that actually actually works. You have no idea, but yet you can sign on the dotted line and get two hundred thousand dollars to go to school. Shit, or you don't even know why on your social security name uh, card your um, name is spelled in all caps. But that's for another podcast. <laughs> Yeah, man, it's it's it's, and I feel like we're going down a rabbit hole here, or one of the many rabbit holes. But the 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 blue, frustration, blue pill, of, red pill. Yeah, you know, just not being able to. It's it's very hard to sit back and say we're going to focus on enacting change in this specific area when not everybody knows or understands what that area is, right? And we we keep focusing or putting a lot of attention on things at a federal level when the reality of it is when it comes to policing specifically, a lot of the laws that are put in place happen at the state and local level. And so, you know, I've worked in, I worked in local government for years and I can personally attest to how disconnected local government was from the locals, right? When they were having elections for mayor and council you know, spots, it was 5% of the total population participating in voting. And you say, well, why aren't more people participating in voting? It makes a lot of sense, right? If you're, if you have a family, it's, it's, it, and you're, you have kids, your focus is on doing what you need to do to provide for your family. What kind of energy or desire do you have to care about some council person who you feel like isn't going to do anything for you? if you vote for them anyway, right? What about my life is going to change because this council person sits in this seat? You know what I mean? Why should I care or donate or give my time or be invested in learning and understanding how this works? I got too many other problems. Right. You know what I mean? So it's it's a very, the million, the not really million, the trillion dollar question to me has always been, how do you get, Regular Joe, John, Mike, you know, Sam, Charles, whoever, to not only know what's going on in their local and state politics, but to actually care and be invested in their local and state politics. If somebody could solve that equation, then the kind of things we've been talking about, I think you would see a lot more headway in. Well, to borrow some knowledge from um, the godfather, Kevin Samuels, <laughs> his um his math states that you know you don't need a hundred percent of anything um to create a tipping point you only need ten percent and uh w w e b dubois or dubois spoke about this he called it the talented tenth you only need uh a a tenth of the, a tenth of the population to steer and change things for everybody else. So I would, just like we do, it's like you just find like-minded individuals, collaborate, network, and funnel, and and create those packs. Um, write those, write your local congressmen and, and, and grow your numbers. Because yeah. we, we don't need everybody to come out. We just need, because like you said, only 5% of the 
of the local of the uh, local population are probably voting in those elections anyway. If you control ten percent, you're yeah. walking tall and carrying a big stick. <laughs> yeah, and I, and I do think because I don't want to leave the audience with these these completely morbid issues and problems that are going on. There is still a lot of um, great things going on. There's still a lot of hope. There's still a lot of positive momentum in a lot of different areas, right? Despite all the ails and issues and trolls, when we think about things like social media, the, the access and the sharing of information has never been greater. Yeah. And to, to, like I said before, I, even just the, the, the art of policing, right? I've learned a tremendous amount through a lot of those platforms in the last several years, just because of people who have dedicated their careers to focusing on um, improving uh, or combating police unions and improving, uh, you know, black people's chances when it comes to navigating and dealing with police because they have their platforms. I've been able to get access to that information, learn the things that they're doing, you know, get more information, study that information and walk away with a better understanding of some of the challenges and why things are the way they are. Right. Yeah, but the first step is really, as far as the police are concerned, we got to get rid of qualified immunity. And just like doctors, police should have insurance too. Yeah. Because, you know, if a doctor is performing surgery and messes up, whoops, and you lose a family member or, or the doctor kills you, it's malpractice suit. Right. But as long as, you know, you give the police the infinity gauntlet and you just wipe away all their sins like nothing happens, um, we're not going to get anywhere. So get rid of qualified immunity and and make these police get, in, get insurance. And then when they mess up, don't have the taxpayers yeah. yep. pay, pay for their mistakes. No, take it out of that police pension. Let that happen a couple of times. I bet you see a lot less incidents. And, that, the, the, and this is just a systemic American general problem but the lack of accountability leads to so many problems right if there's no accountability financially for these these murders and these deaths then how can you expect anything to be different if i can walk outside every day and i can walk to my neighbor's house and i can whoop their ass just pummel them to the ground and mm -hmm. i can go back home to my house and no one says anything to me or somebody says something to me, I got all these barriers put up in front of my house to where they can't get access to me. What's to make me feel like I, I'm above not being able to continue to do that, right? If there's no consequence for me doing that, what's to make me stop? Right. And, and, that, and that's just being a, a regular person, right? Agreed. If, if you're allowed to get away with atrocities, What's going to make you stop continuing to make those to continuing to do those atrocities? Right. We're in a situation where, you know, you have my I'm pulled over. You have my car surrounded is four people, four strangers have semi -auto we automatic weapons pointed at me. But I have to practice and have more decorum than the people with the, <laughs> the deadly weapons in their hand. I have to remain calm. I can't be scared. Right. Even though I haven't been trained, I, at no point in school or in life was I trained. How do you deal with three cop cars pulling up behind you at two o'clock in the morning? I, I never got a, a blueprint or a booklet 
on how to navigate through that. Or how how do I go against physics and stay still while I'm being tasered <laughs> and have a knee on my neck while somebody's telling me not to move? Right. Or you know, um, you know that popular ability that black men learned in the mid seventies um, until now, where you know we would be handcuffed in the back of um, police cars, and somehow we we learned the ability to shoot ourselves in the back of the head. Right. Mysteriously. Mysteriously. This is just a superpower. Like, God gave everyone abilities, but he decided to give us that special ability to be able to uh, shoot ourselves in the back of the head while handcuffed. Right. Right. Now you're right, sir. It, it, yeah, like you said, that's, those two places are where we need to start because <sighs> There has to be some level of accountability for committing these atrocities. There just does. Or it's going to be ugly. Because if you read The Art of War, in the 48 Laws of Power, you're all, it says you're always supposed to give your, your enemy a way out. Because if you don't give them a way out, and victory is in sight, you've given them no way out. They have nothing to lose. So you know you don't know what, what they're capable of now. Yep. And it could turn the tide of a battle. Yep. I agree. So what are they doing to black people? We 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 vote for people, we get lied to. Um, we follow the law, we get murdered. They're giving us no way out. So if we have nothing to lose. You know, I'm not inciting violence, but, you know, if we've exhausted all other options and they're coming to get us anyway, you know, foots to asses. Yeah, yeah. It, it, it is. It is going to be interesting how a lot of this plays out. Right. We haven't even touched on things like the, the pandemic still taking place. Right. Even though there's a lot of optimism around. um people getting vaccinated and restrictions being lifted and quote unquote, um, this is air quotes, society getting back to a level of normalcy. I mean, if you haven't been on TikTok in Atlanta, Texas or uh, Florida, it looks pretty normal to me. (laughs) (laughs) We still have these underlying challenges that are going to continue to manifest and show themselves. And we haven't even touched on other things like school shootings or just shootings in general that have come back in a, in a, a fierce way. Everybody thought that, you know, things were cured or better just because everybody was told to stay inside for nine months. Um, but now all of a sudden, you know, folks are coming back out. Here we go again. Well, if they generalize the marginalized school shooters the way they do young black men in hoodies, maybe, you know. <laughs> yeah. You're not wrong. You're not wrong. Well, I want to. I want to leave the audience with with something on more of a positive note, right? Oh, to the moon! <laughs> We're going to the moon. Yeah. So, for those who have decided to get into the gambling ring of cryptocurrency, <laughs> of cryptocurrency which I have shout out, shout out to my cousin. Sean Neese, who has 
put me on and giving me a quick education on what it is and how it operates, even though I, to this day, I still have no real understanding of any of it, but at least she got me in the game. You know, Elon Musk is doing, I think he's doing SNL tonight. Yep. And so Dogecoin is another crypto. It's not backed by anything. It, it has no real intrinsic value. It, it It's just a crypto that, from what I understand, was made as kind of a joke and somehow has risen to... You're talking about the American dollar or Dogecoin? <laughs> that's see, that's that's a very fair, that's a very <laughs> fair and accurate statement because the American dollar is no different. But that's like you said, that's another that's another podcast. Because <laughs> you're you're a hundred percent right, a hundred percent right. So what's to say that Dogecoin doesn't become the new the new actual coin or value for you know the world at some point? But well, the, right, it's not backed by anything. It's not. Is no limit to how much how many coins can be printed, right? The only thing keeping it relevant is the belief of, of a select few that is worth something. Yes, and that belief is shared by you and I <laughs> to the moon. And we are all in on trying to see it grow as high as possible. I I saw <laughs> one. Um, woman stated this is on twitter and she was like she had invested i think a thousand dollars in doge in january and as of this is probably like a week ago she had like a hundred she had like a hundred and twelve thousand some she had six figures worth of you know of return on that investment Hopefully and, she wasn't on Robin Hood because, like, you know, they probably ain't giving her bread yet. <laughs> well, I'm on Robin Hood, so, ho- so hopefully I can get access to my my bread if I need to. Man, um, if it goes to a dollar, I'll see you in Mexico. <laughs> but that that's the kind of return that is that is possible, right? How many investments can you make? Where in let's see, May, so January, May, so five months. Mm-hmm. Then in five months, you can make I don't even know what the percentage take is on that from a thousand dollars to a hundred plus, but a lot of percents, big, right? That <laughs> that's what's possible here now. Um, even Elon has come out, and others have come out. Although I think some of them are just haters. What is that? A thousand? That's a thousand percent return on your investment. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which so and so, how many different investments can you make where you get that kind of return like that in five months? Well, there's a this powdered substance that they make in a lot of brown <laughs> countries that we'll we'll leave off the podcast. But, <laughs> right. You know, if you find a good chef, <laughs> a good chef that can, I believe the children are saying water whip it the correct way. <laughs> Similar returns can be had. If, if you employ the right street pharmacist or uh, right. young entrepreneurs. Right. Yeah. Now, Same. I, <laughs> I, I will say that that somebody such as Elon has come out and said, be cautious. Don't put your whole life savings, you know, into Doge or any of these and, and expect, you know, to, to amass riches because you could lose it all, which is fair. But he also said that he thought that his stock was overvalued 
And since that point, <laughs> it has escalated tremendously. So right. take everything with a grain of salt. We are all in. Um, crypto could crypto seems like in some form or fashion the wave of the future. And so for those who are willing to take a risk, I recommend that you do some research. And if you feel comfortable, take the plunge. Yeah. So on that note, thank you for your time, Mike. I appreciate it. Another episode wrapped up. Everybody, we will see you next time. Tune in. Thanks.